All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Can you see it? Did you know? The puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice. It arms To the line, Hughes scores! You're listening to Canucks Conversation. Quinn Hughes beat reporter here. Like, I don't, I won't cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. A member of the Nation Network podcast and delivered by DoorDash. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted them in and down. Wow. We should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. What Pearl steals, cutting in, shoots, scores! Don't waste all the good stuff on the off air. Let's go.
Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation, brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. You can use promo code Hockey Season, capital H, capital S, all one word, Hockey Season. That will get you $5 off your order at ZephyrEpic.com, Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic, on all platforms. Go follow them, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, all that fun stuff. Go They've use a- it now, too. We're in contract negotiations with Zephyr Epic. Go use the promo codes so they uh, they want to re-up with us. <laughs> okay. What's the promo code? Convo? No, hockey Sorry. season. Hockey season. H- do you even listen when I do these intros? Barely. Okay. Hockey season. Capital H. Capital S. All one word. Hockey season. That will get you $5 off your order. They also have a retail location in Surrey, so go check them out. But if you order online, they ship free in Canada on any order over $50 from from Parksville to Paradise Hill from Parksville to Paradise Hill Zephyr Epic Guess ships the province free. Paradise Hill Newfoundland nope harm Ontario nope Paradise Hill that sounds like that's got to be Atlantic Canada nope what okay what is it I'm not going to guess all the provinces harm one more guess oh my goodness it's going to be something stupid like Manitoba, isn't Jeez, it? Jeez, what are you going to get Manitoba? Whoa, we got listeners in Manitoba, bud. <laughs> no, well, like, I mean for a name like Paradise Hill. Yeah, no, it's uh, Saskatchewan. <laughs> it's going to be something as, stupid as we know. like Manitoba. <laughs> I didn't mean Holy smokes. <laughs> I've been to Manitoba. We actually, to yeah, we do. I actually don't. I meant like no one thinks of Manitoba <laughs> as a paradise, you know, or hills. Oh my but goodness! Okay, jeez, right. shots we've, fired we've off. We've got top. some intro music that's uh, that we'll play soon for I, harm. By the way, Saskatchewan. Yes, Saskatchewan. Okay. That's just as bad. Yeah. Well, the paradise oh and the hill part. Yeah. Okay. I could say I'm that because my best friends Har- from Saskatchewan. Harmon's going to lose us a bunch of listeners. <laughs> we don't do well in Manitoba anyway, so don't worry about that too much. <laughs> We're also delivered to you by the great folks at DoorDash. Ding dong. Use promo code CONVODD, capital C, capital D's, all one word, CONVODD. That will get you 25% off and free delivery on your first order with the DoorDash app. Hey, I had someone message me, and they were like, hey, what does DoorDash do? And I'm not trying to put the person on blast because they messaged me. They were very friendly. But they were like, you never say what they do. Oh, DoorDash, good point. You get some food delivered to you. Or PetSmart. I've Pet talked Smart. about PetSmart in the back. They deliver your dog treats for you. Yeah, maybe that's where the confusion came DoorDash in. also does like uh, groceries now and stuff too. I've seen the other yeah, day. Yeah, they do lots of stuff. So use promo code CONVOD, capital the, uh, C, capital D's, 25% off and free delivery to order some food or groceries from your favorite restaurant. Or pizza. Or I pizza. got the uh, I got the Batman pizza last uh, yesterday from Little Caesars. Have you seen that movie yet? No, I don't watch movies. Man. It's pretty good. You should watch it. It's really good. Really, really you like told me movie. it wasn't good when you first watched it. No. Yeah, because then I had to I had to stew on it a little bit. But it's once been I marinating. did, it's really good, and I want to go see it again. Okay, yeah. my name is David Quadrelli. I am joined as always by the man who built the place, Chris Faber, and of course Harmon Dial, who we now have intro music for that I'm going to play right now. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Here comes the money. Money, money, money. money. <laughs> Yes, Harmon Dial has his intro music. Harmon, how are you? I'm doing really well. I will say, though, that this is like if Francesco Aquilini walked into the Canucks dressing room and pointed at a player and said, you're ball and you're rich. 
Like, no, Francesco, you're the one that has the excess money to pay these players and sign those checks. So you guys have the excess money to pay me. You guys are the one balling. I see favor over here. Yeah. Don't mean to don't mean to throw the spoiler out there and still fingers crossed that you actually get it. But I, I, I'm, I'm out here hearing you're you're going to be out in the uh, Aquilini Towers and living living uh, lavish next to Rogers Arena. Benefits of writing for Canucks.com. High up there in the towers. Yeah. Uh, hopefully. Hopefully we'll be there, yeah, but uh, yeah, that would be pretty wild. Uh, but yeah, yeah, money, so money's like, all right. Just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, when Harm comes up the stairs, he drops loonies and toonies all those every step he takes up the stairs here to get to the studio. Oh my gosh. Okay, we got a big show planned, folks. Uh, we're gonna talk about the Canucks losing to the Blues. Faber wrote on the show outline because, of course, he does that for our radio show and this show. Playoffs over. That's Playoffs what over. I wrote. Bruce Boudreaux would disagree with you. And we'll talk about that because he had he had a little quote yesterday where he compared it to his team when he had the Washington Capitals and they went twelve and one or eleven and one I believe he said in their final twelve to make the playoffs by two points. He said it is not impossible. And Bruce Boudreaux's right. The playoff hopes are alive, boys. It's right? also not impossible for me to become prime minister, prime minister of Canada. <laughs> I was I've been told I should run for premier of uh, BC pretty soon. Here, that's what I've heard. I've got some thoughts that I can bring into the province here. Do you want to share your campaign? Well, it's on the back of mustard, a mustard tax. <laughs> where everybody gives you mustard. Everybody gives me a small bottle of mustard, and then I give them health care back. That's my platform to run on. Unionize everything. And uh, that's all I got so far. I haven't really thought, given too much thought to this. Well, you've got my vote. Thank you. All you got to do, a little bottle of mustard, and you know it can be different flavors. I'm fine. Like, people, you ever get this? People uh, that are like highbrow to ketchup and mustard. You know, like you, if you buy the, the superstore brand and people are like, oh, it's not Heinz ketchup. Uh, are you guys, yeah, you feel like both of you are these type of people. No, like, no, you, like, you guys need no. the, So you can have like no name ketchup yeah. and no name mustard. I yeah. used to buy, so when I was a student down in uh, Uvic, uh, well, I was, I was actually going to Camosun, but I was living with everyone that went to Uvic. So I was at the, the cheap school. And I remember going to the dollar store and getting dollar store ketchup, and it was like, Garden Valley uh, ketchup and people used to say that I was like living a living a bad life because I had this cheap ketchup that was like a dollar for a big bottle and then I because I didn't get the Heinz until my parents came down and like took me to Costco as like a young teenager that's when I loaded up I remember when I was a student I ate English muffins and peanut butter every single morning because that's what we that's what my parents bought me like they would come down every couple months and buy the Costco size thing of English muffins. And it was like a hundred English muffins. And I just kept them in the deep freeze, ate the exact same thing every day. That's what that was when I was living my real student life. You two over here, I was your guys' age at the time. And now look at this quads is eating. He goes out for breakfast every single morning. He's, he's eating panna cooking in the morning, every single day. Harm drops loonies everywhere. He goes, <laughs> unbelievable. I almost, you, you, you made a joke last time we went for breakfast that I paid in nickels. <laughs> Well, that well, you did pay and change. <laughs> yeah, it was so You're funny. Like, I was yeah. like, he's like, no, I got, uh, I got cash actually, and I'm like, oh, well, Quads never has cash. Pulls out a ten dollar bill, then pays like the rest of his twenty eight dollar okay, dinner. Okay, it was a ten and a five, and then I had two toonies, a loony, and I had to get to like twenty three. So there was some quarters. Well, yeah, if, if Harm came with us, he could have picked up all the money falling out of his pocket and paid for the rest of it. <laughs> I never carry change or cash for the record. When Harmon when Harmon walks into a room, that song starts playing. Yeah. It just happens. In here, yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
We'll get to some actual Canucks talk now. Right. I kind of previewed it a bit. Uh, we'll have our poll question going up shortly, and then, we'll, of course, we will uh, get to that as well. Recording this on Friday, April 1st. Hey, before we get going here, and I know we're reaching the 10-minute oh, mark, geez. so we got to hurry, but I was trying to think of an April Fool's joke to put on Canucks Army, and people are hearing how the sausage gets made right now because we haven't come up with anything yet. Clarissa's made a graphic for me about the black skate coming back full-time, and I think I'm going to just tweet it out and yep. maybe write an article about it. We'll see. But I don't know if people will get mad. Like, I don't know. Social media has ruined April Fool's Day. Yeah. You guys ever have a good one growing up? Because I got a couple. No, never. Stories. My Honestly. mom loves April Fool's. Oh, so one time we went to, we were swimming in the pool, like the Nanaimo Aquatic Center, like the pool or whatever, the community pool. We're out there swimming in that. And then my mom starts yelling at us from the pool. She's like, the dog's having puppies. The dog's having puppies. She's like, everybody get out. Like, we got to go. Like, the dog's giving birth or whatever. And we're like, okay. The, like, I, I was like five or six years old at the time. The dog, I didn't even know the dog was pregnant or anything. Or the dog wasn't pregnant. So we all, like, come out of the pool, get all changed. And then she thought it was the funniest thing. She's just, like, screamed, April fools. And we're just like, what the hell? She just, like, made us, like, she brought us to the pool, put us in the pool for, like, ten minutes. And then yelled at us to all get out because the dog's giving birth. Wow. And my mom loves April Fool's. She's just, it's like her favorite. She's a teacher, right? So she's probably just getting all of her students with everything possible right now. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's, that's sinister. Yeah. Okay. Let's get going here. Um, okay. Canucks lose to blues. You want to just start there? Sure. Okay. Go for it. Well, uh, you got, you can get going. I was out in Abbotsford. I had to watch the game the next day. You guys were at it, weren't you? Harmon I was. was. You weren't? No, I, I stayed oh, home yeah, for that weren't. one. Which, by the way, you, you don't show up at the rink at all. Yeah. I go to morning skates and practices. I wrote three articles from the morning skate against the Blues. I just stayed home that night. I was like, right. ah, it's okay. It was a, not a great attended game from a media perspective. Like I, I heard yeah. it was pretty empty in that press box that night. Yeah, it was. And it's that game was interesting to me because I just felt like in, in the back-to-back set, or it wasn't a back-to-back, but away and home, set against the Blues was really interesting to me, especially the first game where it just felt like a team that was making immature mistakes that the Blues weren't making as many of, right? Uh, you, you look back at the, I think it was the Monday game, the first one, where the Canucks, if you look at the underlying numbers in terms of shots and chances and expected goals, they held the advantage at 5-on-5. Five five. They played large stretches of really effective hockey, especially in the second period, but they made critical back-breaking errors that cost them to a level that the Blues didn't, right? The Blues still made mistakes. They're playing sloppy hockey. Um, they're without uh, Tori Krug, uh, and in the second game, they're even without uh, Jordan Cairo. But they, like, for instance, the Connor Garland, Garland uh, turnover for the 2-on-1, like, the Blues just, they're too professional. They're too experienced. They're not going to turn pucks over there. And it just felt like you could see the maturity gap between a team that's done it before in the Blues and a team that's still coming up in, in the Canucks in terms of their carelessness with the puck. Um, and especially on on Wednesday, I felt, obviously, even with, uh, with the Pedersen turnover that led to the goal. When you go up 2-1, I'm sorry, but a mature team just does not get scored on shorthanded and then take a penalty and then also um, get burned uh, on the ensuing power play. Like that sequence, that five minute sequence, that's just the sort of thing where the Canucks, I imagine their fifth game in eight nights, they looked gassed. Um, you could tell they were lacking a bit of urgency, but in, in those situations, it's classic game management where when you go up, 
you've got to just be able to to hold hold on to it and and it just felt like even then going into the third period they didn't have um their legs with them uh the push came a little bit too late and i think j pat sort of i i really liked his tweet kind of summed it up where the game almost encapsulated the Canucks' entire season where they started slow there were some there were some intriguing moments in the middle and then a frantic push at the end but ultimately it just wasn't enough yeah and i think that's the problem is we see them kind of putting the effort too little too late and obviously that game against the blues kind of really showed, I mean both games against the Blues, really showed how far the Canucks have to go because, like you said, a mature team doesn't do that. So, Chris, do you have anything to add to the Blues performance? Because you even mentioned before we started recording here that it's becoming time to start looking at big picture stuff. So, do you have anything to add about the loss to the Blues? Uh, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how this team just kind of plays out the rest of the year and gives opportunities for other guys. I know we're going to get into that a little bit later, but... I mean, it was tough when you saw, and I think Boudreaux even talked about this in the post game about how how different the Canucks lineup looked after Bo Horvat had to leave because he he leaves early in the game, doesn't come back for the second period. I believe was what he was completely missed last two periods, and like you brought it up, Harm. Like the Blues are missing Cairo, their top, their leading scorer, yeah. their best defenseman, and it didn't feel like they skipped a beat. But you could even hear Boudreaux talk about how difficult it was for him to put lines together after Horvat was left. And listen, losing a forward, no matter what, you're playing with 11 forwards, that makes it difficult. But the depth on this team, like it, it's crazy to see what happens when a top six player is taken out. And you're already missing Niels Huglander, who, you know, when you miss a top six player, Huglander makes a lot of sense to hop up and play in that role. But when you are already missing him and you look at the other options to move around and put players in a certain positions, losing one player like Horvat just completely felt like it it rocked what these lines were trying to do and trying to play their game, which is, I think the question that everyone has about Canucks right now is like, what is the Canucks game? And it's going to be there. There's going to be changes in the off season. They're obviously going to come. And I think just seeing an example of how quickly this team was just shaken, like shaken so hard when you lose your captain and the blues just weren't from missing their leading scorer. Like I obviously that's kind of like the, the version if the Canucks were to lose JT Miller, for or just missing for one game, right? How much that would affect the lines, the roster, just the performance, the special teams, everything. Like to not have that kind of depth, you could clearly see why the St. Louis Blues are more of a playoff team. And I wouldn't even say that the Blues are like a real contender for even, the Cup, but yeah. yeah, but you can see the difference between a playoff team and the Vancouver Canucks in that game. But because also, they they know what to do to get to the playoffs, and then you're going to see them. You know, obviously give whatever they can. And if you go on a run in the playoffs, you get a hot goal, you win a couple series, like anything can happen, but you could just see the differences on how a top end player being taken out of your lineup affected the Canucks and affected the blues differently. And it kind of showed how important depth can be for a team like the blues who know what they can do to get into the playoffs. I also want to say that there's sometimes just bad matchups in the league. Like I think of the Canucks versus the flames. The Canucks are not a great matchup for the flames and Clearly, the Blues are a bad matchup. I disagree. Yeah, I, I like their matchup with the Blues. You like their matchup with the Blues? The Canucks, since, yeah. Since 20, in 2019-20, I remember even in the regular season, the Canucks always played well against Blues. I know, always but... Always like, them a good run for their money. These past two games, it, like I don't think the Canucks necessarily played bad in both of these games, but... I also don't I think, think they were Lewis just, played that that well exactly and that's my point that's why i think it's a it's just a bad matchup for the canucks i think the blues are just a little bit of a slower team that doesn't like just absolutely destroy your physicality like mm-hmm. like minnesota is very physical like they, right? i know and the blues have moved away 
from that Ryan O'Reilly kind of style, right? Like I brought yeah. this up on 650 when I did a hit the other day. Like they've kind of taken on the identity because, you know, we talk about identity all the time. They've kind of taken on the identity of that Kyrou line, right? And yeah. he's, you know, he's their leading scorer. They've kind of shifted a bit. And well, that's know, the thing about the Blues that I like the matchup is like the Blues aren't, they're not a fast team and they're not like a strong, like a strong team. They're literally just like they play the, the way that they won the Stanley Cup is the way that that's their team's like, you know, that's the way that their team needs to play every night to get wins. It's just like be able to be basically like I look at the Blues and I think of their lines like their four lines matching up against other four lines and being like equal steady and then having their defense core be the, the kind of difference maker for them. Yeah. And the and other they're getting goaltending too. Yeah. Really who the, the other thing, too, is I think we, we can all agree that uh, the Blues probably aren't among the top tier of, of cup contenders, at least not in my eyes, for sure. But then you look at how deep and in favor you talk about depth, talk about deep, how deep their top nine is. Mm. We're talking about Braden Shen, who's got 44 points in 50 games, centering the third line, playing with Ivan Barbashev, who's on pace for 56 points. Mm-hmm. And in the first game, uh, St. Louis's top nine was so deep, they, they slid Cairo on that line. Now, obviously, I think even without Cairo to have Shen and Barbashev uh, on your third line, that speaks to how deep. Uh, your uh, your top nine is because both guys would be surefire locks in Vancouver's top six. Yeah, yeah, you're right, and exactly and then true. you contrast that with what the Canucks are. And the Blues aren't even, aren't even that good again. Like especially, they're just way too permissive defensively, and their back end has has too many holes. But it just kind of goes to show you that um, again, how much work kind of uh, needs to be done with uh, this Canucks roster. Yeah, and there's absolutely going to be a ton of changes to the off season. I mean, I think that the interesting thing is seeing like the Canucks play. Like what they've the streaks that they've had under Boudreaux, I think that's like you can't ask for anything more from this roster, right? But unfortunately, even if they were to be with Boudreaux for the full season, there are going to be slumps like there was in the start of the year. Like there are going to be things that don't work out your way. A lot of things have broken the Canucks way, right? Is it Drance had the tweet like the Vancouver Canucks have the highest save percentage in the NHL or something? Highest five on five, highest five on five, and this would be the first time that a team like that misses the playoffs. Mm. They already rely on their goaltending so much. That's the thing that's going to put them over the top. That's their best asset. Like if you look at just like parts of teams, like the forward group, power play, special teams, defense, everything like the Canucks is best is their goaltending. Yeah. Right. It's clearly that it's clearly Thatcher Demko keeping them in a lot of games, which I think is actually like a good spot when you're a management group. Like it's, this isn't the the tear down that you need for yeah. this organization. Like it's, it's a pretty good spot from a lot of points to be, in Patrick Alvin's shoes right now, but also like there are certain things that are going to hurt you. And, and, you know, if this, if this is like a, a five-year plan to get to be a competitive playoff team in five years, it's, it's a cakewalk, I think for Patrick Alvin. I don't think that's the the goal though. Yeah, like, I think this not. is two years from now, one year from now, you want to be competitive for a playoff spot next year. Yeah. But the thing that's going to hurt you is obviously going to be these big contracts to Tyler Myers, to Oliver Ekman Larson, these big deals that, that are going to be tough, but this team doesn't need to like break it down. They have a really good foundation. They have one of the best goaltenders in the league. They have one of the best defensemen who moves the puck so well and creates so much positive movement uh, on carrying possession into the offensive zone. It's, it doesn't need to be ripped down to the shreds. It's going to be interesting to see what pieces are taken away though. And what pieces are added to make these changes. And the one that I want to start with here, we'll play the clip in a minute. Start with Bruce Boudreaux, because I, I think that where are you guys at on the certainty that Bruce Boudreaux is going to be behind the bench next year for the Canucks? 
I think everyone's kind of just assumed it's um, with the way the season season's gone that it's a shoe in that it's a lock. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. It's going to be interesting to see. I, I I'm a little bit surprised that it's kind of taken this long. Um, and I, I think part of it too is you're going to have to, if you're the Canucks, sort of evaluate what your priorities are for next season and in the bigger picture because. Boudreaux's fantastic at, at garnering whatever results you want for winning now. But let's say the Canucks wake up in the offseason. They go, this roster needs deeper reconstruction. This is going to be multi-year plan. We might not be competitive for the playoffs next season after all the pieces we sell. Our priority shifts to development. We're going to take a longer time horizon. Well, then all of a sudden, does that fit with Boudreaux's timeline as a coach? We all know that he's on the older side of the spectrum. Probably wants to chase the Stanley Cup. He doesn't have that under his belt. And so you might wonder, what are the what are the fits? And, and then your priorities as, as a management group suddenly all of a sudden shift. And you're wondering... Not about are we how many wins can we pick up next season, but you're going to look at players like Nils Hoaglander and Vasily Podkolzin, and you're going to go, how do we maximize these guys' potential? Is Bruce Boudreau the right coach uh, to do that? And I'm not saying that Boudreau isn't a good development coach or can't do those things. I'm just saying that those are the questions you have to ask yourself, um, and it's not as straightforward a decision, I think, as um, everyone assumes. It is, but again, I mean, from my perspective, if if Boudreaux um, wants to be back and if as a management group, I don't have a ton of, I can't remember off the top of my head, I don't, I don't have a ton of knowledge of Boudreaux's long-term um, track record of developing young players because I think from my recollection, he's mostly dealt with pretty veteran rosters. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know that side of it, but if you're comfortable with him from a development standpoint, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd assume he wants him back, but we'll see how it goes. Here's what Boudreaux had to say about it when he was asked about it by uh, Farhan Lalji yesterday. I, I think, uh, I th- you know, I think I've done an okay job, and um, it's a tough question. I mean, uh, I want to coach forever, so and I really like Vancouver, so I guess that sort of answers the question. So I didn't want to talk about it too much, but did say... I want to coach forever, and I really like Vancouver. So that basically answers the question. He'd like to be back here next year, obviously. Yeah, I am I think it's going to be interesting. And Harm, you kind of brought it up there. Like, he hasn't... We don't know the track record, really. There's not a... Like, I'm not saying we don't know the track record, but there's not a situation that kind of comes immediately to mind of him working so well with young players and making it happen. And we're not saying it's a bad thing. But the interesting part is going to be with Boudreaux is can he change the thought process of what we look at guys like Elias Patterson and Quinn Hughes from young players in the league to established players in the league. And if that changes next year with Bruce Boudreaux as the coach, what does that mean for the young players like Vasily Pod Colson, who's a rookie Niels Hugland, who's a second year player. How can they get the best out of having Boudreaux as the coach? And I think it's going to be like, I, I think everyone just kind of assumes like, this isn't being talked about a lot because everyone just assumes that Boudreaux is going to be back, but this new management group they're they maybe have a guy in mind that would be the right coach for a young group of players, right? Potentially Patrick Alvin. We obviously know has a lot of good connections in the European hockey community. There could be an option over there. You obviously have a lot of European players here in Vancouver already. 
the, a different style of coaching, like a European style of coaching. We already see the Canucks do this so much, like the European style of having that third forward come up at top and join the two defensemen to create like a different look. That's the Swedish style of hockey that's played. The Russian style of hockey is always having like a, a three men at the point kind of thing to start the offense, move your plays from there. I wonder if they maybe go that direction. I just think that this management group, Jim Rutherford with Patrick Alvin and these guys making the decisions at the top, if they have their guy, they're going to do it this year. They're not going to give Boudreaux another year just to, you know, see what he can juice out of this team. I think that this is a smart enough management group to say, like, if they're going to build something here with a new coach, it starts with a year of potentially, you know, being a team that is maybe not for sure going to be a playoff team next year, but build it up with this coach. Let him have a year to grow and see what he can do to develop young players in a year where, like, next year it isn't set in stone that the Canucks are making the playoffs. It's absolutely not set in stone with feels like everybody else in the Pacific getting better or at least having their prospects come and play more games it might be a better idea to kind of look at this down the road as like, if you're wanting to go for the playoffs all in next year, I think Boudreaux is your right decision, but hundred percent. But if you're not looking for the playoffs to be the ultimate goal next year, but the ultimate goal to be win the Stanley cup or battle for the Stanley cup in three to four years, then maybe you do want to get a different coach in here who can grow with the players and be your guy, but it's going to take them knowing that they have their guy for sure. And I trust, like if you're going to trust a, a management group to make a coaching decision. This management group made one of the best coaching decisions in 2015 when they hired Mike Sullivan and brought him in yeah. and he goes and wins two Stanley cups. Like this is a team that you, you trust if they have a guy and they know they have a guy like what they did with Sullivan, then trust in this group. I think they've earned that trust from what they did in Pittsburgh to say that like, it might hurt the fan base to, you know, know that there's no more Bruce. There it is. And we all love Bruce. We love dealing with Bruce in, you know, all of us in the media, us post game, you know, morning skates, everything, seeing him on the ice. He looks like he gets along with all the players, but is he the guy coaching this team in four or five years? I don't think so. Like, I don't think Bruce is going to be here four years from now. The main thing to remember, obviously, when we talk about all this is that ownership hired Boudreaux before Rutherford was even brought in as president. And obviously that was two months before Alvin even showed up as general manager. So it's something to keep in mind that ownership uh, hired Bruce, but Rutherford's talked about how he was advised on it and he likes the decision and he likes Bruce as a coach. So not to make a story out of nothing, but it is something to keep in mind. Harmon, do you have anything to add before we go to break? Yeah, I think on, and this is more of just a general side note, not necessarily um, related to Boudreaux specifically or the, or the coaching decision, but I, I think you brought up a great point in terms of the goal of whoever comes in is also going to be to elevate Pedersen and Hughes to take that next step. I think a lot of us, and and I tried I try to remind myself of this more and more often is we have a, a lot a, a big tendency to focus on some of the roster deficiencies and what uh, what needs to be kind of built around the nucleus of the three to four uh, core cornerstone um, pieces that the Canucks have. But if you look at, for instance, the way the Florida Panthers took the next step, absolutely, they revamped their supporting cast in such a substantial way. But a big part of their evolution in going from this team that had a rebuild teetering on the edge of collapse to all of a sudden, holy crap, they're a legit Stanley Cup contender, was their top guys leveling up and taking the next step. When you look at Alexander Barkov, for instance, after a down season, um, re-emerging as one of the NHL's absolute best number one centers. Um, you look at the steps Jonathan Huberto has taken. Aaron Ekblad, um, 
going from a top pairing, a decent top pairing defenseman to, oh God, this guy can contend for Norris trophies, Mackenzie Wegar. Um, going from he's a middle pair sort of defenseman to, oh God, he's a really good top pair defenseman too. And I think that's what you need, especially out of Pedersen, right? Because we know that there's a much higher level for him to unlock, especially not just with his offensive potential, but what he can do from a two-way perspective. And I think for, for this Canucks team to be a legit contender, they really, really need Pedersen to maximize his potential. Like Pedersen can't just be a run-of-the-mill, low-end, first-line centerman if this team wants to win a Stanley Cup um, in, let's say, three to five years or, or contend for one. They need him to be on at the peak of his game, playing at the level that he did in the 2019-20 season, if not better. Mm-hmm. And that sort of campaign is what? He put that together, together when he was 21, 22. There's a higher peak there. And I just think from... Uh, a coaching perspective, but also from an overall management um, perspective, that's going to be, that should be a really high priority. And that's also where I think back to when Emily Castellanguay was hired, she has that really interesting track record from being an NHL agent. And that's where agents, if you think about it, their, their ability to make money is directly tied to how good they're their clients play, right? So if you're Emily Castonguay and you're representing a young prospect coming up like an Alexi Lafreniere, your job has to be to maximize his development so that he can become a star player so that he can make the big box and you can earn your commission. Right. So you learn in those environments, okay, you understand how players work. You understand what does this guy need to take the next step and, and how do we work on that? And that's where when she was hired, she spoke so much about trying to build those personal connections with players and and really communicate well with them and and take the time to understand their perspective. And I think that's uh, a really, I think critical area that me, that we maybe don't talk about enough um, is how do we level up even the existing players? Um, Even if let's say a Brock Besser sticks around beyond this season, like how do we get him back to being, to playing at the level that he was last season as opposed to what he's been this season? Well, and even to that degree, like is, is the right coach somebody who, is going to do a better job where if JT Miller's moved, if Brock Besser's moved and you're bringing in this, let's say not two players, of the same caliber, but maybe five players that you hope a couple can get to the same caliber. And the other three or two are added to like depth players. Like you want to be able to develop players into that role as well. And I think that that's what we're going to see this off season is an influx of potential NHLers and not necessarily just JT Miller's and Brock Besser's and Tyler Myers. And you know what you're going to get from these guys at the NHL. But I think what we're going to get is some question marks on players that are coming in and hoping to make this roster and make an impact. But question marks, like you mentioned, with the Florida Panthers, where the depth players that they brought in were able to really hit the peak of what you hope that they could get. The top end potential that you see from younger players or players that have been in different roles around the league. I think you're going to see so much of that change with the Canucks roster because this manager group knows that this roster isn't good enough. And I think what you're going to have to have is a coach where is Boudreaux the guy that can figure out what a 23-year-old Mackenzie Weger isn't doing right and needs to change or can you know put him in a position where you get the best out of him like Boudreaux has that potential obviously he's gotten some some of the best hockey that we've seen from JT Miller over his basically whole NHL career Elias Pettersson has been a completely different player as he was with Travis Green earlier in the year but is Boudreaux the guy that this management group believes is going to be able to do that with you know an influx of 
three, four, five different 20 to 23 year olds that are coming in from trades like that, I think, is the big question moving forward. And is there a long term view on those guys developing where you'd like to have the same coach for three years? Because I don't know if Boudreaux is the guy, right? Like four years from now, three years from now, I, I just think that this management group might want to look at that kind of more and, and watching their players develop and wanting to do it under the same coach. Unless Boudreaux has like, you know, a guy that he believes in and you want to see him as the assistant coach moving forward. Like, you know, I, I don't think that Jason King or, or guys on, on Boudreaux's bench are going to be no, the guys that's yeah. going to be the head coach moving forward. Right. I think that it's going to be interesting to watch them play out here. And I, I, like I'd love to like I'd like to see Bruce Bruce Boudreaux back here next year. Like I totally would. I just I don't know if that's the long term goal with the organization. I think this this organization for the first time in eight years is actually taking a long view at a lot of things. And I think it does start with the coaching staff as kind of the big decision that's going to be made here. Yeah. All right. We'll cut to break. On the other side, we've got a few one more. more no, let me let me throw this out too. Do you guys think that this is because listen, a GM only gets so many coaches. Does this count? Does this count for that? No. Like if you don't bring Boudreaux next year, is that's not one of your strikes because you kind of have like no, the, no, the few strike rules strike. on a coach. You don't, no, you guys don't no, think that's so. That's your like initial hire yeah. type thing. Okay, just just checking. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, well, I thought maybe someone had <laughs> no. Some it's a good question. Yeah. It, was good. it was good stuff. Okay, we'll cut a break. Uh, on the other side, we will get to our poll question. Then we've got a few more topics to get to. So keep it locked. Keep it loaded on Canucks conversation. And before we go any further into the episode, want to give a shout out to Parallel 49 Brewing. You guys can find Parallel 49 Beer all across BC and Alberta. And right now we want to give a quick shout out to the Unparalleled Pack featuring four of the P49 favorites. The Trash Panda, the Filthy Dirty, the Jerkface 9000, and the Hillbilly Ninja. My favorite of the four there, the Jerkface 9000, the Pink Can. Something good about those cans there at Parallel 49. So go out and try them. You can find them in most liquor stores across BC and Alberta. And a massive thank you to Parallel 49 Brewing for sponsoring the podcast. Folks, if you want to advertise with us, shoot me or Chris a message on Twitter. If you message Harmon, we think he'll forward it to us. So you can message him as well. But try and keep it to Chris and I. Be easier that way. Then you don't have to deal with our requests i'm gonna take a 25 percent conviction <laughs> 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 i'm kidding all right our poll question brought to you by atlas goods folks go to atlasgds.com and get 15 percent off your first order of pop rinds with the promo code cc15 these are the best fresh pork rinds they come straight out of your air fryer or your microwave like it's kind of crazy i was looking at pictures of them when they're the pellets how they come and then um you know, when you actually put them in the microwave, you, you put like one eighth of a cup and you've got a full serving, like one eighth of a cup of these pellets and you've got a full serving of pop rinds. They've got the longer shelf life because obviously they're uncooked when you get them and you just got to pop them in into the microwave or air fryer and they, uh, they're, they're ready to go. It's kind of crazy because someone messaged me like, hey, this is only like a 500 milligram bag. Am I, am I going to finish this in one serving? I'm like, no, like. Somebody told me that while. they put the uh, everything but the bagel seasoning on there, and it was really good. I, I've never had this seasoning, but I know what it is. It's like the everything that you see on the everything bagels. You guys seen this? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Everything but the bagel is what it's called, I think. They said really? that was really good on it, too. Oh, interesting. Okay, so yeah, use Atlas GDS, or sorry, use promo code CC15 uh, at atlasgds.com to get 15% off your first order of pop rinds from Atlas Goods, local company. If you are in the lower mainland and you order before 3 p.m., 
Uh, same day shipping. So I said, hit him up 255, put him to the test, see if you get your pork rinds by the end of the day. <laughs> same day shipping. Not, not, uh, Atlas not doesn't one like day that delivery. part of the read when I say yeah, that, but I'm put sure, him to the test. I'm sure they don't love that. Okay, so our poll question today uh, kind of goes off of what we were just talking about. Do you expect to see Bruce Boudreaux behind the bench next season? Right now, guys, early returns are uh, about as what you'd expect. Uh, 87% of people say yes. 13% say no. And guys, nobody has voted I'm angry. Well, how can you be angry at Bruce Boudreaux or anything related to Bruce? Guys, the guys, one of my favorite people ever. There it is. Bruce, there it is. All right, so that's the early returns. That's the interesting thing for me is like, I think just like the general fan base, and especially off of like the the taste that Travis Green left in people's mouths this year as a, as the 25 games went by with him as the head coach, I think just like the regular fan who might not even be on Twitter, like the the guy who's just you know wearing his sunglasses and his profile picture and commenting on our Facebook at uh, Canucks Army post, they're big fans. Like I just think the general public. Uh, the the non diehards they love Bruce Boudreaux yeah. too because they see a little clip here and there they see him answering the the wheels versus doors on TSN or whatever it is and they've obviously heard the Bruce Boudreaux Bruce there it is chance in the arena it's gotten there it's play on Sportsnet and TSN and everything but like I think the general public loves Bruce Boudreaux so I wonder if if him coming back next year if he doesn't come back that's not a good PR for the Vancouver Canucks brand. Oh, they've got to nail that hire. Yes. If you if you choose anybody but Boudreaux for next season, my God, yeah. you've got to nail that. Well, you absolutely need to do. You need to. It's got to be a huge. Not not even like I I I don't even think it has to be a huge name. It just literally yeah. has to be. It just has to work. Your and coach pay immediate dividends. Yeah, it's your coach for the next six years at least. Like you have to nail it on this one. So that's the thing that's like if if this management group has their guy, they probably already know him today, like who the guy is if they have him. But yeah, I think as like a PR nightmare for the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, heck, how many how many Bruce Theridis shirts we got left over at Canucks Army quads? We got a whole bunch. What are we supposed to do with these Bruce Theridis shirts if he's not here next year? I know it's going to be tragic. It's not good for business. Make but sure he wants to be here, though. Make sure when you're in Aquilini Tower, you put in a good word for Bruce. I will. I'll see if uh, I mean, maybe I get to level me and Frankie. I'll call him. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. First name basis. We'll see what happens. Well, nickname basis. I'm not in the apartment yet. We're hoping for the best. Yeah, we are. We are all hoping for the best. Okay. Connor Garland is next on the agenda here. No goals in 16 games, guys. It's been talked about quite a bit. Garland has talked about it as well. Said that he doesn't really think about it, but when Bruce Boudreaux comes out and has comments the way, like he did in that game against St. Louis where he says Garland just needs to be better, he wasn't necessarily talking about scoring drought in particular. He was talking about his all-around game, and I thought Garland played pretty good in the next game against St. Louis after everybody was asking about this. Had a couple shot blocks. I thought he was fine in the next game. Again, didn't score a goal, but he did have the shot that was tipped by Elias Pettersson, so it kind of counts. He got a point. It helps. He's paid to score goals. He knows that, and he hasn't been doing it lately. What do you make of Connor Garland's game? As yeah, here's the here's the thing about Connor Garland that I'm interested to hear. I'm interested interested to hear your point of view here, Harm. Like I, I've heard a lot of people, whether it be on other podcasts or radio, or just talks about Connor Garland. The, the idea that Connor Garland doesn't fit well with a lot of people. Like, wh- what do you think about that? Like, like in terms, just of- like it's it's a difficult spot to fit Connor Garland on a line because I I disagree. I think that Connor Garland plays plays his game with 
no matter who he's with. I think yeah. he plays the same style of play. And I don't think Connor Garland is, is a lot to blame for offense not being generated. Uh, like, finishing-wise, sure. You know, listen, 16 games without a goal, there's no excuse for that at that point if you're playing top six minutes. He is not on the first power play unit, so you could use that as a little bit of excuse there. But still... One of these goals has to go in. I think it's been a horrible luck for him, but I don't think there's any. I don't think there's a main problem in the process of Connor Garland as a top six player. I just think it's been a like a really tough stretch here over sixteen games. He's getting his shots. He's getting high danger chances. It is just there's something wrong. I don't know. Maybe you can lead me to the answer here, Harm, of what you are seeing wrong with Connor Garland. Last yeah, I bit. agree with you in the sense that. Like, yeah, he plays a bit of a unique style and it might take guys time to learn it chemistry wise, but it's that's I, I don't buy the theory that that's harmful for lines or it's a hard, hard to fit him into um, fit him in with certain players because you look at any line that he's essentially been on. He's boosting that line's ability to spend more time in the offensive zone to to generate more shots, generate more chances. Uh, he's just given the team a big lift at five on five. Now, I think recently, as you kind of mentioned, the problem is they're not able to translate that possession into pucks getting behind uh, goaltenders in the back of the net. And I think a lot of it is just he needs to bear down on his chances a little bit. I think part of it is maybe Garland has had a bit more difficulty being able to get in on the inside and that's where he's been maybe forcing a little forcing it a little bit maybe in in for instance that uh Monday game where it was like okay he's trying to do a bit too much and you can tell he's struggling to get to the middle so he's he's taking risks to do it but outside of Monday's game he i think has hasn't there hasn't been a whole lot that's changed and, and that's the first thing i look at when a player goes through a slump is does he does this player still look the same in terms of the quality of the chances are generating? Because for me, that's the first, that's the first tell. If, if the answer to that question is yes, they're still doing what makes them successful more or less, then I'm not as worried long term. It's just a cold drought. Um, but sometimes when the process isn't there, that's when you become a little bit more worried, like you were maybe with Elise Patterson at the start of the year, because it's right. like, he does not look the same, right? And I think Connor Garland outside of the Monday game has looked the same. Um, it's just a matter of him, I think, bearing down on his chances. And I think that's where, when you enter this conversation of what should the Canucks do with him, this is where it's difficult because since he has gone through his cold, this cold drop, because he doesn't play power play one, his uh, his point totals don't jump off the page. Like, they don't look sexy at all. And it just feels like if you do it in the off season, probably selling low in my opinion. And again, I don't mind if you're, if you, if you have a perspective of, Oh, we should look to move on from Garland, whatever, for whatever reason, you think he's too small. think he's not a good fit. think the dollar should be reallocated elsewhere. That's fine. It's just tough right now. If you're the Vancouver Canucks with the timing of it, because if you're, if you're a prospective buyer on Garland, you look up his, his stats right now, they're okay. And that's where you know it can be, if you're the Vancouver Canucks, you know it can be a lot better um, with, say, more man advantage opportunities with him finding his uh, stride a little bit at 5-on-5 five five and getting out of this funk. So that's where I'm going to be really interested to see when you're making a decision on Garland, 
you've got time because of the term left on his contract. Do the Canucks slow play this and look to build up his value and um, and and take that slower approach, or are they in the offseason going to just look at it as a matter of we don't know if he's a right if he's the right fit for us, and we're just going to move on from him in the offseason regardless. And the contract makes that so interesting, right? With four years remaining after this year, like you don't have to make the decision this offseason yeah. with him, right? It's a very different I spot where it. I, I think so. I think you're in the same boat as well. Because listen, if you were to tell me this season that Connor Garland's having and the way that he's going to finish, you know, like I think this is kind of the expectation. I'd say the low end of the expectation, yeah. maybe as, as what we saw in the start of the year with Connor Garland was like really exciting. He obviously drew in like Canucks fans to get super excited about Garland was what he was going to be able to do this year. And I think that those first few games maybe like left just like a great taste in my mouth to think that there was going to be more with him. I think he's going to finish somewhere around the realm of like 16 to 18 goals maybe this year and be over 40 points. Maybe 45 is the high end that he hits. If he goes on a little bit of a run here in this last little bit, it's not great, but he's still making under $5 million, but he can do more, right? Like, you know that like like we know he can do more than 40, whatever points. Right. And especially when all, almost all of that's five on five. Yeah. Right. And I think that's something that where the Canucks have struggled so much is scoring at five on five. When you find this is why I'm so high on Niels Hugliner and Connor Garland, because both these players bring you five on five offense. And I, I don't think Garland is as much of a defensive liability as Huglander is. But having these type of players play on separate lines and be able to be, you know, fire starters for offense at five on five is so important because to me, that's one of the hardest things to do with this Vancouver Canucks team is just generate five on five scoring. And I want to bring up just like an interesting, I'll have this in my Canucks army article coming out about Garland, but so Brock Besser has 242 shot attempts this year at five on five. He's hit the net on 116 of those Connor Garland, who has less shot attempts at 234 has hit the net 152 times. So to me, I'm curious what your thoughts about, his shot selection are like with Connor Garland. Maybe he's the type of guy who just looks to get the puck on net more than maybe pick corners like a Brock Besser. And that's why Besser who has more shot attempts than Connor Garland has 36 less shots on net. Like that's a really interesting note to me for what percentage of Garland shot attempts are actually just hitting the net. I wonder if he's the type of guy, like I know that the goals haven't come, but the shots are still high. The shots that he's hitting on a goaltender are still high. I do think those can lead to other plays offensively as well, where I think a move that we're seeing kind of, of, I don't want to say evolve, but really grow in the NHL is we obviously saw the play for a while there for a couple of years where the defenseman would shoot it behind the net and it would bounce out to the other side. I think the thing that we're seeing more is guys shooting for the rebound off the pad. And I think that's something that Connor Garland does so well is his shots are ones that aren't just going to be in the crest, but they're going to be on pads. They're going to create bounces. They're not going to be, easy ones for goaltenders to to make good rebounds off of like I, I see that amount that he's hitting the net on a shot attempts and I think that's that's a really good note about a player who's doing it but how do you kind of evaluate the high shots or the high shot percentage that are actually hitting a goaltender yeah Garland has a tendency to I think shoot from weird angles and try and catch goalies off guard yes. and that's where especially because of how much he twists and turns down low. He's a little bit unpredictable like that. And as a result, I think a lot of it, a lot of times it is just a matter of, let me just get this on, uh, get this on the net and try and surprise the goaltender. And because it is sometimes from an odd low percentage type angle, it's easier to 
to have that shooting lane available to you as opposed to say a Brock Besser is looking to take most of his shots from prime locations from the slot where there's a lot more traffic, there's a lot more sticks um, and it's more difficult to get those pucks through. So I think that's my theory, but in discussing Connor Garland's game, I think it's also important to remember that he's a playmaker first and foremost, rather than a goal scorer. And so that's, I mean, that's how I sort of view him as well. And, um, I just figure stylistically, I'd, I'd, I'd bring that up too when, when we are kind of having this discussion about him as goal scorer. Is I think when you're evaluating his fit on the roster, you need to sort of think of him as a setup man. And, and the reason that matters is you look at the existing roster, what you have a lot of are, I think, shoot first guys. When you look at, say, especially in the middle six, when you look at, say, Bo Horvat or, or Tanner Pearson, or um, you look at... Uh, you probably even say, like, Vasily Podkolzin is yeah, kind of leading that direction. Yeah, more. Uh, you look at, obviously, Brock Besser. Yeah. And, you know, I think Pedersen's a dual threat. Tanner another good one, too. Like, he's a shoot first guy. Yeah, exactly. So Pedersen, I think, is a dual threat. Miller's a dual threat. But, I mean, Miller could move in the offseason. Then you've lost your best your best playmaker, right? right. Uh, and that's where you're you're even stylistically going to have to kind of ask yourself, generating offense isn't just a matter of putting three shoot-first guys together. And yeah. Just because they're good offensive players, they're going to figure it out. You need players to d- occupy different roles. And I think with Garland, there is, um, there is something different that he brings to the table, but no doubt. I mean, if you're looking at his point totals this season, it is... Uh, and this is again where it's from a. I'm thinking from a prospective buyer's perspective. If we're talking about uh, potentially shopping him, is the point totals look? Don't. It's look not great. the year to do it. It's right? not it's the not, year. It's not the year when to you do have it. other options in Brock Besser and JT Miller to hit the trade market. This probably is a time to sit on Garland because I think you can get more from like Garland. You brought it up like as a playmaker. I at five on five, he's the leading leading getter of primary assists. He's got 15 yeah. primary assists at five on five this year. JT Miller doesn't even have double digits. He's got nine, but Horvat's got 10, but Garland's like far and away still the best primary setup man to create goals at five on five this year. Like you want to see what he can build on a year where he actually has a good year. This is, this is a down year and he's got 15 right. primary assists at five on five. That's a, that's a good number for the C he's tied with Connor McDavid. For primary assists at five on five this year, like that's a legit good number from a player who's having a down year from a lot of people looking at him. And that's where, like, again, it's so tough because in a player like Garland's situation, the overall point totals don't look great. But it's like the five on five; it's hard to sort of um, you have that such extreme contrast because if you look at five on five points per per hour, I bet you Garland might be number one on the team in terms of how efficient of a five on five um, offensive producer he is. But again, it just kind of goes back to the point of if you don't play power play one, it's hard to be like this 50, 60, 70 point guy. And Garland of course was a power play one um, option in Arizona. And that to me is one of those situations where if you're going to move him, that's your decision. Boy, you got to juice his value. Put him on power play one. I don't care if you if you want to demote Brock Besser, do it. Prop Garland's value up. Like, don't move him when he's like a forty ish. If he's when he's on point pace for like forty ish points or something along those um, um, lines. Like, prop his value up. It's not hard if you give him enough power play one opportunities. Like he's the- he's gonna produce, and this pointos are pointos are gonna start jacking up, and all of a sudden now teams are gonna look at him and say. Oh boy, Connor Garland at mate at under five million. There's a big difference between forty five points. No oh boy, he's 
closer to a 60 point guy. And obviously you're not going to be able to do that this season. Now it's too late, but it's just a thought process and you got to juice his value if you want to move him, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing too, is when you fall back to maybe you make that deal next off season after a year where he puts even 55, let's say he gets 55 points next year. Then the teams that are obviously doing the research on him, look at the analytics that he put up this year, the years before he's a analytics darling. He puts up a lot of good numbers. He boosts a lot of other players that he plays with, like just simple Corsi percentage and shot metrics. Like he does boost that for everyone. Also, you see the primary assist. You see a lot of like there's a lot of things that are going to help him. He's not going to be like a worthless player on the trade market a year or two from now. He's still going to have a lot of value. And I think that's the thing where I, I'm with you. I don't move him this offseason. I think you have other options with you know, I, I like personally, I think just looking at, it, I think you have a better option moving, whether it be Miller, Besser, or even Horvat, like might be a smarter option to move instead of Connor Garland this offseason. Okay, quickly, before we close out, you had something on Travis Dermott today. You have the take that there's some untapped top four potential, potentially, with Travis Dermott. What do you make of his performance through his first few games with the Canucks? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that he has untapped top four potential, but I think in watching him play, and I ended up rewatching every single one of his shifts in his five games uh, as a Canuck, the the one the one part of his game that really excites me, the one area where he has a lot of potential is, and I've kind of mentioned this before in terms of what Dermot stylistically is, but he is the master of and we talk about his puck moving ability specifically he's not a Queen Hughes type right and what was interesting was I tracked the zone exits he did Travis Dermott did not have first for starters his uh ability to lead control breakouts I think it was like 43.5 percent of his exit attempts which is a very strong number none of them were carries none of them was him hmm. skating the puck out of the defensive zone that just goes to show you that he's not this dynamic guy who is going to skate the puck out of the zone. He's not going to make these long bomb outlet passes like Quinn Hughes. What Travis Dermott is a master at, and I have a real appreciation for the skill, is being able to, when a, when a forecheck dumps the puck in, Travis Dermott can cleanly go in, be first to retrieve the puck, and maneuver in that tight space where a forechecker is breathing right down his neck and Dermot can use his edge work to just make a turn, use a shake and bake, and make the uh, make a little five to ten foot bump pass into open space and release the pressure. He is a master at being able to take pucks that are loose pucks that are in difficult spots and move them into areas where you release pressure. And it's whether it's bumping it up the wall or bumping it in, into the middle. You're just able to take pucks out of danger and into safer positions and locations on the ice, which then help your teammates make plays. And they, that never sticks out on the highlight reel. But if you can make that play consistently in the NHL, if you can do it over and over and over again like Travis Dermott does, man, that's such a highly, highly valuable skill. I mean, you, you even look at Brad Hunt's goal on uh, on Monday. It started with Travis Dermott hunting down a loose puck, being first on it, having two Blues forecheckers on, on him, and in that tight space being able to maneuver and... Um, and make the pass up the wall, which helps the Canucks break out and have that odd man rush scenario. Uh, and German doesn't get any of the credit for that, but that play doesn't happen. That goal doesn't happen without uh, what he does there. And the reason I have a real appreciation for that skill is when you look back at when the Canucks played Vegas in the playoffs, that was the number thing that stood out to me was Vegas is four check. Holy crap. They could smother you. 
and they just give you no time and space. And it's not even that, like, forget about... I have, about, like, nightmares of a flustered Tyler Myers just not being able to get across the blue line. You can't... You were, you just wouldn't be able to shake, guys. They'd, yeah. they'd get a puck behind your D. And what they would do so well, and this is what a forecheck is always gunning for, is they want to pin you against the wall. Just create that puck battle. Create that 50-50 um, scenario. And then... And just don't give the opposition a clean exit. And that's one thing where when you watch Travis Dermott, pay attention to this. And I noticed this in the first five games. Never gets pinned against the wall. Doesn't matter how much pressure's on his back. He just has that edge work. And he's so strong in his lower body that even when you think you've got him, it's he's he's so shifty and elusive that you just can't pin him and create that 50-50 puck battle. And even if it's just the little one hand shoveling it to his D partner, he's, he's not he's just not going to trap him behind the net. And so that's, I think, the best asset that he has. To that degree, I'm curious, especially from watching him play the right side, like I remember, I remember talking to Jacob Trescott uh, in the offseason about this and him saying as a lefty playing the right side, you don't have to cross your body over with the pass. Like when you're on the right side as a left shot D, you have the option to either forehand it up the boards, backhand it up the boards. But when you're on your forehand, it's a lot easier to find open space as a lefty on the right side. Was that something that you kind of noticed with him as well? Because I know that we saw the quick switch to playing right D. It felt like it didn't take long for Boudreaux to kind of give him that. And Dermot's mentioned that he likes playing the right side more. Yeah, I think we've obviously seen him play some shifts with uh, Hughes in certain offensive situations or the team's uh, playing. And I've seen him on a couple breakout attempts. The way he handles pass, you can tell that he's done it before. He's Even when he's given a pass in an awkward spot on his wrong side, he just knows how to handle it and maneuver it. And he looks equally comfortable to me on the right side. I, he's not one of those situations where you're like... He can play the right side. Yeah, Kyle but, Burrow style. Yeah. yeah, like, or they, yeah, that would be Burrow's on the left. But um, yeah, I think he's perfectly fine there. I think in terms of the question I have, and this is where I sometimes look at him and I go, man, like it, this, this holds him back from being a top four guy is it's funny because in most situations, one-on-one, he's a pretty sturdy defender. Like you watch him even against bigger forwards in the Minnesota um, game, uh, the way he was able to bump and battle with guys like um, Greenway and Felino, just towering forwards. He can hold himself pretty well. Like He's a thick kid at around 200 pounds. Or he's not a kid, but you know what I mean. And the problem is just sometimes his reads and his defensive awareness, he just has mental lapses, yeah. especially defending the rush. Sometimes when he... Like, he loves to be aggressive and pinching up the ice uh, in the neutral zone, but... You'll see a couple examples here or there where let's say he's overzealous and he gets burned. And in that situation, it won't cost him. Like there was one rush I clipped and, and put in my article where he tried to step up on the play and he got beat by a one-touch pass and it ended up being a two-on-one. It didn't cost the Canucks in that situation because it's a rush where Mackenzie McEachern has a puck. Yeah. Mackenzie McEachern, you <laughs> can feel all right with giving him a two-on-one once in a while. But it's like if you're playing top four minutes, that's Johnny Gaudreau. If that's Connor McDavid, you're you're getting burned. And that's where you got to cut those mistakes out in your game. And it doesn't happen often. Right, it's a, one of those situations where it's like he'll defend the rush four. If it's five times, he'll defend it four times perfectly, and a couple make really the right. good ones on two on ones against too. We've seen this exactly, year. but then he'll have that like one time out of that five where he might get beat, 
And it's just like, it doesn't, that negates the other four times where you played it perfectly. Right. And I think that's from a coaching staff's perspective, what he needs to do to earn top four trust. And and in a couple of the other situations, it was actually the opposite where he was too slow to read the play and he had sagged off too deep. Um, And if you look at, for instance, the Nathan Walker goal in the third period, it started with the Blues re-entering the Canucks' zone and Dermott was covering the weak side and he just he had sagged right to around the to around the faceoff uh, circles, and the Blues had a ton of time and space to take that initial scoring chance, and and, and uh, Walker from there took the initial shot. Dermot blocked it, and, and he was able to score on the rebound. So those are the little little things that cost him defensively that he's going to need to shore up. But this is where I look at him and I go. Down the stretch, you need to test him, in my opinion, yeah, in higher level leverage like, situations. You, you have to, I think, because... Who do you play him with, though, in the top four? Like, if you want to see him get... Like like you mentioned, you got to see what he can do against other teams' top lines. Is he playing with OEL? Is he playing with Quinn Hughes? Like, what, what do you want to see? Well, I don't game? think there's a long-term fit there with him, with Quinn Hughes, aside from situations where the team's trailing and they need a little bit more offense. Um, I think it is with an OEL. Hmm. And I think, you know, obviously it makes things... Actually, it doesn't make things too complicated. You just bump Myers down to play with Brad Hunt, in my sure, opinion, yeah. um, and you you proceed from there. But I'm wondering if maybe we want to see OEL's minutes dropped. Could he go to the left side with Myers? Sure. Is that uh, something? No, I, I think I, I would yeah. be able to trust Dermot <laughs> and Myers defensively. That's true. Yeah. That, that's uh, a bit you know like, what? we said that about OEL and Myers at the start of the year, right? We did. And, we did. And it's been surprising. So with well, the games that's OEL still yeah. a way sure. more. Steady, steady player. Right. Um, But yeah, I think it matters because if you go out and you, um, and you, and and you, in the offseason, you're discussing the possibility of moving a Tyler or Tyler Myers, which by the way, the Canucks, uh, uh, sorry, quads, the Canucks (laughs) absolutely need to try their absolute hardest to move Myers in a $6 million albatross cap it, even though he's played quite, he's played all right this season. I agree with you. To be clear, if yeah. there's a market for Travis Hamanick, there is definitely a market for Tyler eat, Myers. Do, can you eat money on Myers, though? Can you eat it on the trade? million? Oh, yeah. A million? Yeah. I think so. Absolutely. But anyway, like if you move him, then you got to ask, your, ask yourself these questions of could, to, could Dermot, especially if the priorities shift and the playoffs aren't your top priority next season, could he be the second pair... Um, second pair option playing the right side next to an OEL. Now I 1. think 1.5 million. You like that? Yeah, I think my initial thought in watching him play is if your ambition is to make the playoffs, it's it's no. Like I don't think if if I'm being quite honest, I don't think Dermot is a top four guy on a playoff team because of those defensive in- inconsistencies. But maybe he can iron those out with the fresh start, with more confidence, with um, just picking up more experience and. Uh, and and so that's a possibility, and perhaps he's this number five defenseman who can step up and play as your number four um, in some in some situations. So that's where it's just like, but you, you don't know until you give him this test run over yeah. these next dozen games or so. I think you like him as a five who can step in in a four spot for next year. But you mentioned it; you got to see the top four, especially once you know once they're officially eliminated. Top four every game for him. Like, give him the minutes. See what he looks like matching up against top players. So then next year, when he comes in as the number five or number six guy, when you're when you're looking at a guy who gets injured in the top four, you're looking at Travis Dermott to make the replacement. You're not expecting him, I don't think, to come in and be top four next yeah. year. Unless maybe you move on from Myers and he's your best option. Maybe you get to that point. Or 
but I just I think there's going to be so many trade. Like I think there's going to be changes on the back end. There's going to be a guy who comes in to replace Tyler Myers, whether it be from a trade for Miller or, or Besser or whoever gets moved. Like I think they will get a replacement, but it'd be nice to see that look before the end of the year. I think it's the same philosophy that I stress that the Canucks need to exercise with their goaltending situation, and that's don't have question marks going into next year. Like don't have these unforced errors where, well, we don't know if Spencer Martin's ready because he never got any NHL games down the stretch when the games didn't matter. We don't know if Jack Rathbone's ready because he didn't get any games in when the games didn't matter. Uh, and, and same principle here with Travis Dermott, obviously. Okay, there's one thing I want to get in uh, before we close out here. We're a little bit over an hour, but we'll get one more thing in. Uh, Donnie and Dolly yesterday had a little fun with Brendan Batchelor, uh, and I'd like to do the same because Batch... Uh, screwed up the lines at practice. He tweeted out that Dickinson was on the third and fourth lines centering. Uh, and he also said that uh, Bo Horvat was centering Pearson and Garland and that Miller was absent from practice. This, these were the lines uh, that Batch tweeted out and uh, they had a little fun. And they also brought up something about uh, me, something I tweeted out about Thatcher Demko and him breaking a stick. But we'll play that clip uh, so you guys can hear it his leg at camp and uh, the guy's uh, he's coming back he's working hard to uh, get are you posting the squad rally uh i will in a second but bachelor had a tough morning with these lines uh, horvat wasn't on the ice that was miller pearson miller garland oh my oh god, god. <laughs> bachelor so I'll, I'll let batch know we need better out of him and, and it was Richardson, by I the way. I went on for 10 minutes about horvat oh, Richardson horvat. with pod colson and lockwood oh. so so Pat helping out Verify that. Talk about the Canucks being tired. Yeah, Will no he batch. start his liquid lunch before? No kidding. Uh, you know, the uh, old yeah. school reporting. That's good enough. Uh, get this uh, squad rally kit up. But uh, 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 nine defensemen on the ice is probably the biggest story in practice today. Um, you did you have something you wanted to mention? Well, no, Dolly won't want me to get this in from Quadrelli. Get this in, uh, this kid, uh, good kid here, uh, uh, David Thatcher Demko broke a stick over the uh, of, over the post in frustration. Donnie, yeah. and David mentioning that losing sucks, folks. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and again, it's 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 losing. It's all right. So that was Donnie and Dolly. Uh, we'll close it out there. Uh, we have to run. This was a, well, a prospects a... report here. I got no, uh, Vinny Arsenault signing two years in Abbott's Abbott for two years. Vinny Arsenault. Prospect. Prospect. Yeah. Prospect. Vinny Arsenault. <laughs> hey, if you're a prospect and you know Vinny Arsenault's on your team, you're happy. Oh if you're Daniil Klimovich, look at Klimovich. He's punching guys in the face the other day. That's a stretch, man. That's a he stretch. He punched Uncle, uh, Principal Feeney in the face uh, last game against the Marlies there. He doesn't have to do that if Vinny's on the ice. Vinny's Vinny punching Arsenault him for Vinny is a more realistic UFC prospect than isn't <laughs> Dude, it? Isn't Vinny, Vinny Arsenault's fists are the size of a MacBook. No, that's he what is, I mean. It's a compliment. Yeah. A guy can fight. He, I tell you, I love Vinny Arsenault. I think he's I think he's great. I think he's good for the prospects. Yeah, he might not be the most offensive guy, but he's a good guy. In the, you know how many sandbags he carried when the flooding was happening? That's true. I was supposed to mute your mic, but that's true. That is. He a, is the man out there. He, he was out there within 30 seconds. Yeah. He rallying the troops. Yeah, he had his rubber boots on before he left the apartment there. He's and Abbotsford, he's a good guy off the rink. Uh, two more years of Vinny. We love our good Vin- we big Vinny over here fans. We're big okay. Vinny fans. Okay. Vinny Arsenault, two years, Abbotsford. They love him. Get your jerseys. Number 18. Put an A on his chest next year. Great prospect report, Chris. We'll close it out there for my co-host, Chris Faber, and, of course, Harmon Dial. My name is David Cordelli. Cut me Thank off you. too quick here. Uh, ben. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Thanks for listening to Canucks Conversation. Delivered by DoorDash.
Hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. How about keep it to a thank you, Jim? Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.